Welcome to the Expert Network Team podcast. Where our goal is to inform and educate our listeners on matters related to finance, legal, insurance, accounting, and other interests that are of personal and business nature. We hope you will find our content useful as well as entertaining. The Expert Network team consists of Carl Frank of ANI Financial, Mike Miller of Miller and Associates CPAs, Jeff Cromendike of Security First Insurance Agency, and I'm Nathan Merrill. I'm an attorney at Goodspeed and Merrill. Together, our independent team combines our expertise to provide you insights and solutions, some straightforward, some profound, for real-life opportunities we see on a daily basis. We hope you enjoy the information contained in today's podcast and find it useful. If you'd like to learn more or desire to meet with any of the Expert Network team members in person, you can contact us at info at expertnetworkteam.com. That's I-N-F-O at expertnetworkteam.com. We encourage you to take advantage of a free consultation with any of our team members. Just mention this podcast when you schedule your appointment. Now on to today's podcast. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Carl Frank with AI Financial Services, and with me today I've got Nathan Merrill with Goodspeed and Merrill. How are you, Nate? I am. Uh, I'm doing well. Great. Summer is almost over. I can't believe it, man. It's good. It's good. It's not a hundred degrees outside. Yeah, and we got the air conditioning working over the building, Woo-hoo! so everybody can work until the wee hours of the evening. Oh <laughs> yeah, crack right. the whip. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of cracking the whip, we've got John Sauer, attorney at Goodspeed and Merrill. Hi, John. Guys. We're doing great, man. Thank you so much for being here. Of hey, course. Today we're going to talk, John is our expert. John's going to talk about employment law in Colorado and some very big changes which are happening um, that employers need to know about regarding non-competes. And non-compete agreements are a big deal uh, for all of us in the professional services industry. And, uh, and basically, I mean, it's upending a lot of what uh, has gone on in Colorado in the recent past. And so we've got a lot of questions for John. John's got a lot of answers and, and um Hopefully, we're going to find a way to uh, make things uh, actionable for our listeners. So. Sure thing. And I, you know, John, we talked a little bit about this ahead of time. I don't think we need to get into the nitty gritty, but the, I think there's some debate whether this was needed legislation or not. So it might not seem intuitive to folks as we work through some of these new provisions. You know, some of the questions I asked you, like, was this being abused? Was this a problem? And you mentioned that at some levels, there probably was some abuse, but probably unenforceable abuse at best. But uh, why don't you talk a little bit just initially about uh, some of the key updates that have come through, and, and maybe any other intro on the on the issue you want to yeah, set so, the stage with? So at the highest level, a non-compete, what does it do? So a non-compete is an agreement typically between an employee and an employer. Obviously, it arises in other circumstances like the sale of a business or something like that. Um, But primarily in the employment context, it's an agreement that restricts the employee from engaging in particular activity. Uh, And the most important restrictions are the post-employment restrictions. So you can have a non-compete that is effective while the employee is employed uh, and then the following employment is what gets regulated more. There's other things that would prevent an employee from competing while they're still employed. That'd be like the moonlighting provisions and stuff like that. Yeah, moonlighting provisions, duty of loyalty typically prevents some of those if there's a conflict of interest or other issues arise, but the post-employment restrictive covenants related to competition. And there's two primary things that 
are changing here. The first is just a general non-compete. So you kind of have to think of non-competes as a species. You have a general non-compete. So uh, for instance, say you sell cars and your employer doesn't want you to um, sell cars at another location. They would try to enter into a non-compete with you to prevent you from going somewhere else, you know, taking your knowledge and skill and everything else that they built and paid uh, you to learn uh, and go work somewhere else. That's fine. That's one type of non-compete. I'm not saying that's legal as a lot more facts need to be laid out to figure out the enforceability of that. But in terms of the species discussion, there's other, there's another type of non-compete that's been identified specifically as a species within a couple of cases in Colorado. And that's a, um, solicitation of customers non-compete. So that's separate from a different, there's a different type type of provision that shows up in these agreements, non-solicitation of employees, which would be an employer trying to restrict an employee from don't take my other employees if you leave. Those are always enforceable. There's not any significant legislation around that at this point, not something to be concerned about the... Even duration-wise? It's There's cases out there that say that it's an enforceable contractual provision. There might be antitrust issues that arise with that. There might be some, um, you know, illegal trade issues that could arise there. But for the most part, um, that that issue is fairly well settled in Colorado that non-solicitation of employees is likely enforceable without much analysis. The non-solicitation of customers is considered a subspecies of non-compete because it effectively restricts your ability to go out, restricts an employee's ability to go out into the marketplace and try to you know, use those client contacts that they made their prior employer uh, to generate or build their own business. Or skills or know-how or anything like that. Sure. So the laws got weaker. For purposes of enforcement, yes. So Stronger, but you could say it's labor favorable. Yes. Ah, there you go. Stronger for the labor, weaker for the employer. Yes. So non-competes are always riddled with problems. Uh, even before this change in law, I mean, you had to do a pretty deep dive analysis into um, whether the person met a statutory exception to the non-compete, the, the Colorado law that voids all uh, restrictions on competition. And then you'd have to do an analysis with respect to geographic um, scope, business scope, um, and time. So you can't have a non-compete to last forever. You can't have you know, geographic scope that's everywhere sometimes, and you can't have, you know, any business. So, those are the pre-existing limitations. Yes. And, and to be clear, because um, some folks might be panicking right now, pre-existing agreements that were compliant or at least enforceable under prior law don't need to be changed or updated to meet the new requirements. What what circumstances might necessitate that? Like if you re-up a new contract, do you have to update the old non-competes or are they just per- grandfathered in regardless of the ongoing relationship? So if you have a current non-compete with an employee, it's grandfathered in under the old law, the law that was in effect at the time that that contract was entered into. Um, and the new law only applies as a, a prospectively, so any any non-compete you entered after August 10th, 2022, is affected by this change. So if you had a prior agreement that had a non-compete in it and you modify the terms of that agreement, it's not considered a new agreement? If you modify the terms of the agreement... Like compensation that, and benefits, and if it was like embedded in an employment agreement... 
if you're changing the terms of the agreement, it becomes a new agreement, right? Okay. So um, it's not so, like if you give somebody a raise, you have to give them a new non-compete. It's that, you know, if you if you enter into a different type of employment relationship with them. Let's say I've got a, a five-year contract with an employee to do something, and we go in and we change whether it is the, is the compensation, it's the job description, it's the work location, you know, some terms of that agreement. If we modify, this this happened with 409 Cap A with deferred okay. comp arrangements, which was a federal issue, but if you went into a deferred comp arrangement after 409 Cap A and made any modification, it was considered a new agreement that needed to comply with 409 Cap A. You're saying that's kind of how this applies too, is if you resurrect an old agreement and make it new, you're going to have to update all your non-compete provisions. Effectively, yes. So it, I think since this is so new, there's no case law on right. this, and there's no statutory language on this um, that addresses the circumstance that you're setting out here. But um, if you have clear amendment provisions within your employment agreement that say, you know, this this can be amended in writing, accepted by both parties, and all it is an amendment that amends something that's not the non-compete, I think you have a good argument that the non-compete is still effective under the old law um but at some point right um, but if you made amendments to affect the scope of the non-compete then you're changing the specific provisions of the non-compete and therefore it's a new non-compete yes okay yes and then you need to be in compliance awesome well you'll come back and update us if that changes but yeah of course <laughs> well i'm really scared and excited to learn what the how they got weaker for employers how, how what changed in, in these ways so maybe it'd be helpful to kind of give a little more context around the impetus for this. So one of the things that happened is about five years ago, there was a case that involved Jimmy John's basically requiring all sandwich makers to enter into a non-compete. And sandwich makers are making basically... Highly skilled employees. Yeah. They're Apparently. making sandwiches, and they can't go across the street and work for Subway if they get a 50-cent-an-hour raise. And I think that that was offensive to some... Uh, people in the legislature and that prompted a lot of let's look at this issue and they were looking at it at a federal level through the FTC they're trying to determine you know whether there's a need for federal restrictions or limitations on non-competes that's still in process um, but at the state level one of the things that has also happened is that there's an open question on non-competes with respect to um, jurisdiction and venue provisions. And one thing that has made that put a lot more pressure on that provision is remote workers. So what a jurisdiction and venue provision within an agreement does is sets where the case would be heard if there's some sort of enforcement action and what law controls that case. So a lot of employers um, for a long time always, you know, always incorporate in Delaware because they've got the most business favorable laws, um, always uh, do your non-competes, uh, Delaware law is the most favorable to employers. Well, one of the things that happens is some of the, sometimes these businesses have no connection to Delaware. The employee has no connection to Delaware. And under those circumstances, it doesn't make a lot of sense for Delaware to be the forum state or their law to control a relationship that's occurring thousands of miles away. Um, so among the changes, right, there's been several changes, and we're talking about primarily the the changes for employment law purposes is that 
courts, there was not a very clear d- decision within Colorado cor- courts as to one exception that would allow the enforcement or the existence of a non-compete, and that is for management and professional staff to management or executives and executive staff because it's not really clear what executive staff is. Within a business, even you know large business, every employee could be considered staff to the executives because the executives run the business. Um, that's at least one argument. And one of the things that at least I think the perspective here was is that that kind of opened a large loophole into whether the law was in, you know, whether uh, you could just write a non-compete for anybody. I mean, mm-hmm. a sandwich maker is effectively staff to the executive, professional staff to an executive at the sandwich shop. So um, for what it's worth, one of the things that has changed dramatically is um, they put in salary thresholds. So we talked a little. I talked a little bit about these different kinds of non-competes. You have a general non-compete where it's um, you can't go uh, work for one of my competitors for a period of two years, you know, within 50 miles of my business location. That's a generalized non-compete. And then the specific type of non-compete, the non-solicitation of customers. They put in two different salary thresholds. The first is it's, it's 100,000. It's 101,250 is the salary threshold as of 2022 for that type of generalized non-compete to be enforceable. Um, And that's tracked based on inflationary numbers through the Colorado Department of Labor and Employment um, uh, Statistics Division, Labor and Statistics Division. And every year that's going to change. It's going to, more likely than not, it's going to go up. It's certainly going to go up in 2023 based on our inflation numbers, Mm -hmm. that type of thing. So for the other type of non-compete, the smaller uh, don't take my clients type non-compete. It's sixty percent of whatever that highly compensated number is. So, okay. in this in this instance, it's sixty thousand seven hundred and fifty. And the reason for that difference kind of makes sense to me because don't take my customers is a lot more limited than don't go work for somebody that is in my same industry or same space. So those are the primary uh, changes. Is they're not doing you can't do this uh, executives or professional staff. Uh, you can't slip in a non-compete there. And then there's additional requirements related to notice. So an employee has to, the, the non-compete restrictive covenant can no longer be buried in the middle of an employment agreement. It has You have to provide direct notice to the employee. You have to have the employee agree that they've it's received notice. Yes. And then you typically have the non-compete restrictive covenant as a separate document in addition to um, a regular employment agreement. Seems like we're learning a lot from California here. <laughs> I've seen a lot of that, like, uh, whenever you have to waive jury trial in California, you have to actually initial that section, but it sounds like the government's playing a little protective here for the little guy. They're building in an, a huge number of trap doors. Mm-hmm. So in terms of getting a call from a client saying, uh, this person's going to compete against me, I need to enforce this, what do I do? Uh, the analysis is no longer going to be, is there a statutory exception to all these, you know, scope questions? Do they line up so that we're comfortable enforcing this? They're now more, have you complied with the notice requirements? What's the day of the agreement? Where, you know, what did this person do for you? Um, it's it's going to become a much deeper dive into the enforceability. And truthfully, uh, it's, it is very difficult even under the prior law to enforce a non-compete because you start talking about 
uh, the costs associated with doing so. You can't give very, it, it's difficult to give very absolutist answers as mm -hmm. to whether they're enforceable for an employer. From the employee's perspective, um, you'll, you can find absolute answers. Like there's no way this is enforceable. And I've provided those. That well, wouldn't the same, executives. I mean, may, maybe just trying to look on the bright side of this for a second from a pro business point of view, being a business owner, um, couldn't you also say that at least you have a clear path to enforceability too, to say, Hey, I checked all the boxes. Now I have a much more definitive route to enforcement. Yeah. Therefore, it might cost less to enforce. I think that's a great way to look at it as well. I mean, the 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 truth is, is if you have checked all of those boxes, you're now in a deposition. You could be in a deposition deposing the employee, and you can say, well, didn't you receive separate notice of this? Is this not your initials here saying that you understand that you're subject to these restrictions? Um, so absolutely, I mean, it, it makes it... Um, I think that the underlying purpose of the notice provision is because it could be a fairly dramatic restriction on where someone could go. And under those circumstances, the legislature wants employees to be this, this issue to be called out on the front end rather than, you know, they get sued on the back end. And it makes it better for employers in the sense that, um, their employees know what they're getting themselves into. Well, that's the cynic in me. The flip side of that coin is the cynic in me says that even though the employee's initials are there, the fact whether they read it and understood it is entirely a separate issue. Yeah. But um, well, of course, and and it seems also really strange. I mean, I don't want to be negative. You know, negative Nelly. I like your positive outlook on it. But there are a lot of people who could have a, a company secrets who make less than that threshold salary. Are they no well, longer able to be? Yeah, I mean, that made me think order. of some of the policy implications here. They're, they're doing this to try to protect the employee when, in fact, you could argue there's a chilling of advancement. If, if you have information you want to protect and you know that it's not going to be protected with people under a certain threshold, you could actually chill their ability to advance. To get the data. Or it might compel you to move them up. But one or the other could arguably be true. I'm just right. speculating at this point. But Is that right? I mean, how do you view it, John? So there's a lot of other protections for trade secrets, not just non-competes. And there is indeed very, very um, painful and expensive litigation you could initiate against somebody if they took your client list and tried to start and run their own business or took it to a competitor. Um, and it doesn't necessarily just have to turn on whether they're engaging in competitive activities, right? Non-competes are one tool in the, in the suitcase of how do, I, how do I protect myself from the rogue employee? Uh, <clears throat> I think one of the things that's difficult, frankly, is that, and the truth is, is that, you, you know, within intellectual property, you, there's different levels of protection. A trade secret is only, only holds its value if it's secret. If, and then the trade-off for a patent is that if you tell the world exactly how your thing works, then you get exclusive rights to sell it. Copyright's kind of in that same spectrum. Um, and typically what the advice to employers is, is if you have something that you would consider a trade secret, you need to identify it. You need to make sure that you're taking all the steps to protect it from public disclosure. You need to be able to identify to your employees why it's a trade secret um, and identify even in your handbook or in other agreements that you'll take action with respect to, you know, misappropriation of trade secrets, it's effect, effectively theft of intellectual property in many ways. Um, at the same time, right, the, uh, 
many trade secrets are very transitory. So we've been, I've been working very closely with a client, and they said, we do not need non-competes. We're not worried about non-competes because uh, what we're talking about is we want, the, the, we want our employees to know that these are important trade secrets, and then we'll come after them for a misappropriation claim. The value of what they have by way of a trade secret is probably, its, it's lifespan is maybe three months on the outside. And what they're working in, they're in a market, they're in a very competitive marketing space, and every little, and it's digital marketing, and under those circumstances, any little change, you know, within what you're marketing could be a big revenue boom, and then you need to change again, and then you need to change again. And so they're working with so many iterations, the value of the secret is very time limited. And so those laws still exist, and they didn't change by this. That's correct. Yeah, why don't you go over what has not been affected in terms of enforceability clauses or exceptions or that sort of stuff? So sale of a business, uh, you're still in a position where you can enforce those. Um, Meaning you buy a business from someone, and that someone that you bought it from, you can say you can't do this ever again. Yes. Um, You know, primarily all the other exceptions are intact right it's just this this one this one exception related to professional staff and management uh, staff to executives um, the rest of it has not changed but the reality is is that um, it, it becomes difficult to identify which exception you're trying to work something under if it has been identified and so sometimes I'll get a non-compete that's 10 years old and it's like well what how does this work and does it fit in one thing that becomes an issue with these is that um, especially the older non-competes, is if there's case law out there that says if the person, if the non-compete was unenforceable at the time that the person signed it, so, but it, you know, because of their position, and then they later moved into a position in which it would be enforceable, it's always been unenforceable. It's it's not voidable. It's always Void been, an issue. yeah. So, yeah, speak to that, because we talked a little bit about that beforehand, is this new statute requires not only that you be compliant at the inception of the contract, but also at the point of enforceability? That's exactly right. So because of these these salary thresholds, if if that's the basis for supporting the reason that you have the non-compete, the salary thresholds are tied to the pay calc order um, issued by the Division of Labor and Statistics, and that will increase over time tied to inflation um, and other, you know, calculations that they do. So Currently, like I said, it's 101.250 for the generalized non-compete, um, but that'll go up. And when the person signs the agreement, they need to be paid at least 101.250 if it's generalized non-compete. And then when you go to enforce it in five years, whatever that highly compensated employee number is under the CDLE's guidance, they need to be making that ton- that amount of money at the time that you try to enforce it. It's another trap door because if you're not paying them the right amount when they sign it, it's always unenforceable. And if it's enforceable at the time they sign it, but you don't keep up with the pay calc order amounts, in terms of wage growth, it's suddenly unenforceable. What about, uh, I mean, is this pay calc calculation all just W-2 wage base, or what benefits retirement? Like, what what factors into the overall test threshold? Equity compensation? It would not, it would not include equity. It would pro, it would not include benefits, but it would include commissions. So you can have a salary, salary person with commissions. It's all remuneration for work, which typically doesn't include benefits and doesn't include. What if they suck as a salesperson and they never hit the threshold based on commissions? 
I mean, it creates a lot of problems with respect to uh, the salary thresholds. And I can imagine, you know, you have somebody that's making the salary threshold at the time that they sign it, you do your due diligence, and then you think you need to go enforce it, but they weren't making that much when you go to enforce it. Maybe you just give them $10,000 bump and then you sue them. I don't know. I mean, does that does that satisfy? Fall, the, yeah, it's going to be a question. Just falling out of compliance. Can you can you cure it? Yeah, there's not any indication as no. to that. Any indication as to you can or you can't? There's no no, no indication. Right. So. Um, Sorry, now you know what conversations are like around our law firm. If, you, if any of you ever of details, wanted like right. insight into <laughs> law firm discussions, this is me and John right now. I love it, right? Well, it's good that you guys think of all the details. I mean, there are a lot of gotchas there, and it sounds to me as a business owner that the next time I make a hire, I'm going to have to have a new com- non-compete drafted. Yep, absolutely. And it's you know we've been we've updated our forms in accordance with this. We've started working on a white paper to distribute distribute to our clients so they kind of have an idea. Um, you know, hopefully, it's not too detailed in the sense that it's like it's you know just send us your agreement, we'll look at it and fix it. I'm happy to do that. Um, but overall, yes, this is an enormous number of trapdoors. Uh, we're obviously uh, bringing this information to the public right now. What would you say the general awareness of this issue is amongst the business community? Has it, has it been dispersed through chambers and associations and that sort of thing? Or I've seen... Dark passed quietly in the darkness of <laughs> the night and slid in. You know, I don't know... I, on some level, I don't know what the advertising efforts are on the legislature to say we're making these changes. I don't see it. Um, I, I know from my contacts, because of the industry that I'm in, that people know about this and there's some conversation, but I got a call to enforce a non-compete recently and happy to work with this person. And I say, this is good, but I want you to know about this change in the law. They're like, oh my gosh, they changed the law. And so now we've got to re-up their non-competes and uh, so I, I would say very few Pretty people low. know about this. So, yeah, yeah. so yeah. if we had one of those, what do they call those banners that go across the screen? The Chirons? Oh, is that a Chiron? It'd be breaking news. Oh, <laughs> this right. is a breaking yes. news podcast. <laughs> so imagine yourself a little Chiron going across like the bottom it. of the screen. Right, right. There were a few years there where everything seemed to be breaking news. I everything. think they've gotten away from I think I every, everybody's worn out for breaking news. <laughs> it seems like it's still that. But this is though. this is legit breaking news. You for business heard it owners, here it's first a big deal. On the That's Expert right. Network Team Podcast, <laughs> our purpose in life is fulfilled. Well, and you know when you're getting it first on the Expert Network Team Podcast, it's probably too late. I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> I don't know that this one's going to come out for a couple of weeks. We'll find out when it comes out. <laughs> We do our best as a small company. To we get are not things, a news organization. But we are definitely we're an information not, organization. We're definitely not running this live right. on the day we're recording it. One other thing I wanted to mention by way of changes, because you guys are calling me Negative Nancy or Wet Blanket or whatever, but that's my job as an employment attorney. <laughs> <laughs> they've I'm just glad the, I get to call him Nancy now. <laughs> they've upped the, the criminal penalties now where if you actually, uh, and they call it an unfair labor practice, that's you could get prosecuted and you can have to pay significant fines and you can go to jail if you are using a non-compete that is you know is invalid wow so that's scary what okay that is not good news no 
<laughs> you threw that to... in right at the end. I don't even negative want... Nancy. I don't even want to think about so how wait. they would know. So what? Or make it, that's case. a new provision. So there's always been um, there's always been criminal penalties associated with it. Uh, I was actually shocked because some of my contacts that. I call to know like the deeper ins and outs of employment law. We're like, there's never been uh, criminal penalties. And then we went through it. I sent them all the links from the old law and they're like, oh my gosh, there's criminal penalties before. Well, they've just upped them. So you could do a year in jail potentially. I would Who be- Who would sh- prosecute that? Uh, the attorney general or district attorney potentially. Have they ever? I've never heard of it. Okay. I've never seen it. But that ca- that captured a lot, a lot of attention. Um, I think even outside the legal community because Colorado is one of the only states that would criminalize um, the knowing use of an invalid non-compete. I do not recall. (laughs) No recollection. (laughs) Did you just listen to the expert podcast, (laughs) expert network podcast? Now you know. It's intimidating, isn't it? Yeah, that's that you want to get your laws, you want to get your your lawyer in line and get your stuff lined up and be legal. Life is too short, David. Face a criminal accusation from an ex-employee. That's ridiculous. So it's very unlikely to ever be enforced, but I think that the, at least the, the impetus behind that is employees, they need a job, they want to sign the papers, maybe right. they don't read them, and then... Right. And whether they know... Right. And, I mean, this I can see how this would be a strategy, is whether they... Whether it's enforceable or not, if an uninformed employee doesn't know any better it might still chill their activity seeking new employment so again it gets to are are you maliciously and willfully you know acting in contravention to the law just to distance bite yeah ouch okay so that was a pretty jail can you imagine all those employers (laughs) sitting in jail rotting good for them just kidding (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on that note, what else? What other big bomb are we going to drop here at the end of this podcast on uh, on uh, the enforceability of non-competing? Okay, you got anything that can top that? I think that's it. Oh. There's that's cash penalties, but you know, who cares about the money? At a certain point, you'll probably settle if you're, especially if you're facing criminal charges. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that would be worthy of a separate discussion. Is the what's it like to enforce? A non-compete like what does that process look like what are the things you you typically see factored in i imagine cost and benefit pros and cons yeah yeah but we can reserve that for a later discussion i love it well john you did a great job thank you so much for the uh the expert insight it, this is one we want to uh, get out to all of our employer clients soon yeah because it's breaking news <laughs> I I wish for you all the best and to all of our uh, listeners create a beautiful day yeah thank you for having me thank you for joining us today hope you enjoyed the information we shared if you enjoyed this podcast please feel free to share it with someone else and join us next time if you want to meet with a member of the team please contact us at info at expertnetworkteam.com that's info at expertnetworkteam.com If you have special topics you'd like to hear about, please reach out to us and let us know at the same email address. Again, that's info at expertnetworkteam.com. Thank you for joining us and have a great day. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We want to remind you that listening to this podcast does not 
establish a client-professional relationship with any of the firms represented, nor does it constitute legal, investment, or accounting advice, and the views are those of the professionals only. 